Hello, y'all. Welcome back to the We Know Ball podcast. And Gav, we had a week for the ages with the NFL and college football. What a weekend, man. What a weekend. It was wild, man. A lot of twists and turns, some bad beats all over the place, and some teams surprising us, and some teams where we kind of nailed it around the head with what we expected. Jumping through the schedule here, we got the college football recap, then we're going to jump to some Thursday night football, Sunday night recap, and or Sunday slash Sunday night recap, and then we'll get that Monday game out to you, which was just some more bad football. But yeah, I mean, I loved a lot what was going on this weekend, especially in college. I think this was the first weekend where it really felt like college football was fully back. We had some primetime matchups. We had some teams finally getting tested. And yeah, let's just jump right into this. So one of the teams that finally got tested this weekend was Notre Dame versus NC State. Notre Dame received its first true test of the season, taking on the Wolfpack and a defense that lived up to the hype in the first half. Yeah, Notre Dame uh, did not look good moving the football through the first uh, half hour of play. And all credit to the Wolfpack. I know you and I touched on it briefly last week. We said this would be the first true test. Uh, the Wolfpack haven't looked great to open the season, you know, only only beating UConn by 10. UConn is certainly a basketball school. However, they came to play against Notre Dame for the first two and a half quarters. I really, really, really liked what I saw out of the Irish being able to pull away at the end and ultimately put this game out of reach. Man, this combo of Hartman and Estene is just so good. I mean, Estene had those two crazy runs in the fourth quarter to put it on ice. They're going to be a problem, man. I mean, the defense also looks pretty stellar. They picked off Armstrong three times. This team looks better and better each week. They got Central Michigan at home next week. But after that, we're going to really see them take on, like, what they can do. They take on the Buckeyes and Clemson, both teams with big questions. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about this squad heading forward. Yeah, and before they played Clemson, you said they got the Buckeyes uh, in two weeks here. Followed the next week on on the road at Duke. Then they get a little bit of a break against Louisville, and then they got the fighter, not the Fighting Irish, they got the Trojans of USC at home on October 14th. Their schedule's picking up, and if their defense can play to the caliber that it played uh, this week and in previous weeks, they're going to be able to stay in all of these games, and it's going to be up to Sam Harmon and company to close them out. I'm right there with you. I think they're definitely going to be in the college football playoff hunt if they can win out some of these games, just because of how many shakeups there were in college football this weekend. But yeah, Sam Hartman, he's really changed its offense, man. This is a different team than we've seen last year, even a couple of years back. I feel like this is one of the more complete Notre Dame teams we've seen in the decade. Certainly, certainly, especially with Sam Hartman having that uh, fifth-year senior veteran leader. You mentioned them being a college football con- playoff contender. Absolutely. What's going to hurt them, as it does every year, but especially this year when the Pac-12 is absolutely loaded, is not playing in conference. To make the college football playoff, they're probably going to need to go 12 and up. If they lose one game, are you taking an 11 and 1 Irish team with no conference title versus a 12 and 1, let's say, Washington Huskies team with the conference title? Assuming you get the SEC champ, potential Big 12 champ, and the Big 10 champ in there as well. And maybe the ACC, don't forget about Florida State. Uh, we're counting out Clemson now because they suck. But, uh, you know, it's 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 tough. Their path their path is 12-0 in my opinion. And it's a tough path to get there, but they, they play the brand of football they're playing right now, and it's, it's realistic. Exactly. And I think just because, like, you got Ohio still hanging around that fifth best spot in the country, you got USC in that sixth spot – these are two teams that I feel like are begging for an upset at some point. And not to say that Notre Dame being these teams would be an upset, but because you have those two top 10 matchups, I think they can get there, especially if they go 12-0. and 0. Yeah, and th- those would be just high-caliber signature wins that the committee would look at and say, okay, well, maybe this Notre Dame team is legit. 
Speaking of another team that looks legit, Washington State this weekend, upsetting Wisconsin. <clears throat> and Gavin, we called it. this. I told, you, I told you guys on Friday, if this game turned into a shootout, Cam Ward would win out. He looked great. And yeah, Wisconsin's offense just doesn't scare anyone. No, and that that was the the whole point of our offseason revamping with Luke Fickle and Phil Longo was, okay, let's get the offense going. Well, it's not going. Through two weeks, it looks potentially worse than it last year with Graham Mertz under center. And yeah, as a Badger fan, I hate what I'm seeing, and I'm having a hard time not giving up on this team through two weeks. I'm not going to give up on this team through two weeks. Obviously, I still think we can win the West just because of how weak it is this year. I mean, the Illini, and we'll get to them later, but they looked really bad this weekend. Iowa beat a really bad Iowa State team. That's nothing impressive, but they really need to figure this out quick. Now, you got a little you got a little um, get-right game here with Georgia Southern coming up this weekend, so I really need to see this offense become the dynamic offense we were promised. I mean, they did look better in the second half. I'll give it to them, but... Yeah, I mean, Tanner Mordecai, it just doesn't seem like he's making his reads. It's weird, too, because we saw him at SMU. He was just putting up putting up numbers in every single category, and we haven't gotten that from him yet. But, you know, the defense especially, too, we can't be giving up 31 points in, in, in a football game. That's not what Wisconsin does. But it's more so the offense. We have serious offensive problems, and we've got a couple of weeks to get it right with, you said, Georgia Southern followed by Purdue on the road and Rutgers at home before we welcome the Hawkeyes and the Camp Randall. We, we need to have the offense right by October 14th against the Hawkeyes if we want any chance against Ohio State Hall weekend, October 28th. I don't know, man. Purdue on the road kind of scares me now. It scares me too, but I think that game is going to be a little bit less of a test than Iowa simply because the Hawkeyes do have a better defense. Purdue's kind of in that in that not rebuilding phase, but in between phase, welcoming a new quarterback, new head coach. So we only play two ranked teams this year. It's Iowa and it's Ohio State. So when you factor that into account, I don't want to give up on the team just yet. You're right. However, man, I mean, the offense we were promised is just not here. Yeah. And I think the weirdest thing is like, are the receivers he has at Wisconsin worse than the ones he had at SMU? Like, I don't understand what the problem is with Tanner Mordecai. He just harped on uh, Sam Hartman for being a fifth-year senior veteran leader. Well, Mordecai's the same way, and he's not playing up to it right now. The receivers could actually be worse. It's, it's, it's very possible. Wisconsin's not exactly known for bringing him in. So, yeah, Tanner Mordecai, 6.6 yards per attempt, two TDs, two picks on the season. He is completing passes as a, at a 70% clip, but that's not going to cut it when he's not getting, getting the ball in the end zone. Yeah, especially when they're like six-yard dump-offs. Speaking of other teams without their veteran senior leaders, Utah versus Baylor. And, Gav, we read this game like a fucking book. We drilled this one, Jasper. I mean, I I said, I think verbatim, I don't understand this line. I'm talking about the, the 47 total that Vegas said of that. Uh, it actually it actually started to sniff that line when Baylor tried to give the game away at the end and Utah let up a huge, huge play uh, with 10 seconds left. However, we did read it perfectly. Both teams missing starting quarterback. Utah's in trouble without Cam Rising. They should get him back this week, I think. Uh, he practiced fully last week for the first time since the ACL injury. And it's like we said, they cannot move the ball without him. Bryson Barnes is not the truth. He had one play against Florida at the very start of the game. And since then, I think he's thrown for like a total of 130 yards. It's ridiculous. Uh, Nate Johnson's not ready yet, too young, too inexperienced. But they they do continue to win in the trenches and win with their defense. So... 
to go on the road at Baylor. They caught a break with uh, Blake Shapen being hurt for this game, too. If he's healthy, the Bears win this game, no doubt about it. And, yeah, Utah's lucky to start this season 2-0 based on how they played. And getting Cam Rising back is going to be huge for them. Uh, but, I, you know, they could easily be 1-1, 0-2 right now. Yeah, and you hit it right there. Low-scoring trench warfare. And the way this Pac-12 seems to be shaken out this year, that just doesn't seem like it's going to cut it. Bryson Barnes played like a guy who just received a scholarship last week. And obviously you said, hey, man, Baylor gave this game away, but that last little sequence there where you think the game's over and then Sawyer Robertson hits his guy downfield, they got the one second, and then the no call in the end zone. Just, I mean, this game, like, I thought it was fun because I love those low-scoring trench warfare games. I love seeing teams be physical up front. But it really got interesting towards the end. Yeah, you know, with Sawyer, yeah, you mentioned the Sawyer Robertson pick. That was one of the worst throws I've ever seen. Uh, Just straight to the defense on your own 20-yard line with two minutes left. I mean, what are we doing? And then the Utah running back, I forgot his name, not going down and instead going into the end zone. Like, he he was towing the goal line for a reason, and he still went in. Like, what do you – nobody – the last two minutes, all thoughts were out the window. They were just dudes being dudes, playing ball out there. Utah's lucky to escape with the win. Uh, they get Weber State uh, at home at Rice Eccles this weekend, so that should be a curb stomping and a good opportunity for uh, Cam Bryson to continue to get healthy. I wouldn't be surprised if they just sat him because they're going to win this game with Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson. And then, oh, man, their schedule picks up in the worst way, man. They get UCLA at home, Oregon State on the road, Cal at home. A Cal team is not that bad, by the way. Not that bad. USC on the road and Oregon at home. Wow. Yeah, U- Utah schedule's picking up. They need Cam Rising and Brent Keevy back now. I think you got to play Cam Rising versus Weaver State because you got to get him acclimated. <clears throat> I agree. Uh, I mean, especially with UCLA, another team that is just impressing by leaps and bounds this year. I mean, is Stanford the only bad team in the Pac-12? <laughs> it's very possible. You know, in the, the newest AP poll, there's eight teams ranked in the top 25 in the Power 12. The only ones missing are Stanford, Arizona, Arizona State. Who else? I couldn't even tell you. But eight eight teams in the Power 12 in the top 25. Absolutely insane. They are loaded this year. That's ridiculous, man. Um, Jumping over to another team that's been the story of the Pac-12. Nebraska traveled to Colorado and Folsom Field, and that thing looked packed for the first time in a while, Gavin. And I got to say it, Colorado's officially arrived. All right, I'll officially say it. I was wrong about Colorado. In the sense that they're not going to be a two-win team like I thought they were going to be, clearly, because they already have two fucking wins. Uh, but they're not the 18th best team in the country. I don't I don't want to be going that far yet. The defense still needs work. Uh, their first two games, honestly, have been perfect for them in terms of their style of play. Uh, getting into a shootout with TCU was absolutely ideal for them uh, because their offense is legit. Shador is great. Travis Hunter is great. They move the ball down the field. Uh, Dylan Edwards is phenomenal. They they can sling it. They can run it. The offense is putting up numbers, and it's fun to watch. However, Nebraska is not the team that wants to get into a shootout. Nebraska playing from behind is not their style of football, and that's the reason. The, the game was closer than, than the 36-14 final score was. Uh, Jeff Sims himself scored 10 points for Colorado in the first half with his stupid play and stupid giveaways. And then when they started playing catch-up, there's more turnovers and easy points for Colorado. Don't get me wrong. Great game for the Buffs. Great game. Uh, But they've got Caleb Williams and company coming up here in a couple of weeks. And I am concerned for the defense um, because I don't think the offense is to the level where they can keep up with the Trojans just quite yet. It's close. A lot closer than I thought it was going to be preseason, but not quite yet. 
Yeah, you mentioned that UC USC game, but before that, they got to travel to Austin and Oregon. And I mean, we'll get to Oregon in a second here when we talk about Texas Tech. But I think Oregon looks like a win more and more of a winnable game for them week in week out. Yeah, it, it, having it in Austin is going to be a problem. Not a problem, but uh, it's 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 going to put the Buffs at a serious disadvantage. I don't know, man. I I feel like the the Pac-12 is going to be the conference of shootouts this year, and Colorado's going to steal a game or two here and there. But with how new this team is playing with one another, they're they're going to falter in some games as well. Yeah, I mean, this is just another defining win in a season where Deion Sanders is out to get his revenge on a lot of people, man. And I think I I think you're not putting enough. I mean. We'll see, obviously. I don't know if you're putting enough stock in that USC matchup. I think that game could get ugly quick for USC, especially on the road. We'll see. I mean, I'm looking at Colorado stats right here on defense. (laughs) They're giving up to TCU and Nebraska 441 yards per game. They're averaging 10 yards per pass against Jeff Sims and, oh, my God, what's TCU's quarterback's name? Totally forgot. Caleb Boris. Yes, yes. And I can only imagine what Caleb Williams is going to do to this team. They're giving up 242 yards on the ground per game, 199. Again, it's only through two games, small sample size, but defense needs a lot of work before I can hop on this Buffs bandwagon. I will say I was wrong with the offense. The offense is going to score points, and that's that's a fact. I just don't think they're the 18th best team in the country right now. Top 25, maybe. Still bullish, but I was certainly wrong about, about them coming in and proving people wrong. I think bullish is a great word. I like the top 25 matchup. Give me a quick line prediction for this USC matchup. At home, it'll probably be USC by close to a touchdown. If I had to guess, I'm going to go with six or five and a half. Pretty good. Yeah, the Oregon one will certainly be a full touchdown being in Austin. You know, uh, game day this week is, is in it's in Boulder. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's how bad the slate is. That's going to be a fun one. I think, I mean, that's a good rivalry game. I think if they hold Colorado State to under 20 points, we're going to see that USC line jump or that at least that Oregon line jump to the threes. We, we can see. it's The home field is going to factor in big time, but the USC one especially can can get pretty short if Colorado continues to play well. If Colorado beats Oregon, then yeah, that USC line is going to be very, very, very short. And you you mentioned it, being, being in Boulder is going to play a huge factor in that one. Speaking of Oregon, we got to jump over to them traveling to Texas Tech. And just a brutal loss for the Red Raiders as well as the gamblers out there, Gab. I'm going to let you take the floor here for this one. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get to our, we'll get to our picks and how they fared here in just a bit. So for the time being, we'll focus on the game. But, yeah, brutal bad beat there. I think the worst I've ever had. However, uh, you mentioned it going through the agenda for the pod. Uh, Texas Tech had every chance to win this game. My God. I mean, the red zone turnovers were absolutely killer. Um, and this they, they scored 30 points. Like, you score 30 points at home, you expect to win the game most of the time. Tyler Show looked fine, but, man, was he bad down the stretch. And that is what gave this game away. I'm going to just steer away from Texas Tech because they're going to be a good, not a great team this year. They'll go bowling, but starting 0-2 is not how I pegged this team starting, obviously. I was hoping it would be 2-0. It should have, at the very least, been 1-1. Like, I'll give them the Wyoming loss. But, man, this Oregon game, they just blew it. Let's focus on the Ducks here. This team's going to go as far as Bo Nix takes them. And that's what I took away from this game. Bo Nix is their guy. He's their veteran leader. And they need him to go far. He goes down, this team goes down. As long as Bo Nix is healthy, Oregon's a serious threat in the Pac-12. A serious threat to make the CFP. And... 
you know, I love the fact that they put the ball in his hands no matter what the situation is. You give it to your best guy, let him make plays, and uh, that's what Oregon's doing, and that's what we're going to ride the entire season, and I like it. Yeah, Bo, you were right about Bo Nix, man. I mean, what a turnaround from Auburn. What a game for him. But this Oregon defense, I don't think, played that all too well. You know, no. I mean, obviously, Tyler Show, those were, like, Tyler Show gave them the football. They're, these aren't These weren't like, oh, jump the route type picks. These were, I mean, two red zone turnovers. You had the fumble and the interception from Show. Those were horrible. Then, of course, you had two interceptions in the final minute. But <clears throat> they did not play well defensively. Tyler Show ran all over them. He got a bunch of – he hit his receivers downfield. And for me, the big thing for Oregon here was the penalties. They gave away 124 yards in penalties. Yeah, undisciplined football, not going to win you games, especially as we enter Pac-12 play here against some very good teams. Obviously, they have Colorado coming up. And then two weeks later, they go on the road to Seattle and take on the Huskies in a game that could decide the Pac-12 and the conference championship players uh, in that game. So, yeah, they need to figure out the defensive mistakes. And that's kind of been a staple of Oregon for as long as I can remember. They put up points and they just try and win the shootouts. They have to fix that because in a Pac-12 that we said is loaded this year, especially with QB talent, it's not going to cut it. Not going to cut in the least. I mean, man, everyone in the Pac-12 is just going to beat up on each other. This is going to be such a fun year. I mean, those 9 p.m. games that we're going to be watching out of the bars, those are going to be fun ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I keep bringing up these defensive stats for teams. You, you know how many yards a game Oregon's offense is averaging through two weeks? Obviously, with Portland State being the first week and scoring 81 points, but... They're putting up 590 yards a game on offense, but they've let up 328 per game through two weeks. You give up you give up over 300 on average to Texas Tech and Portland State. I can only imagine what Michael Penix and company's going to do. Does anyone in the Pac-12 play defense? <laughs> Washington plays the best, and that's why they're going to win the Pac-12. But I don't know, man. This thing, it's, it's weird. Like you, you don't you don't think of the Pac-12 and think the conference of shootouts, but that's how it is this year. Yeah, I mean, there's just too many good quarterbacks out there. But I mean, I'm still around with Oregon State for now, though. I think they they look they've looked the best out of any team. I should have mentioned the Beavers. Beavers are the best defense for sure. Give me the Beavs. Jumping over to another game of the week for you in the gambling department. But as I said, we'll get to that in a bit. Ole Miss at Tulane. No Michael Pratt in this matchup. We all thought Ole Miss was going to run away with this one, but I have to give Willie Fretz and Tulane credit, man. They, they played Ole Miss tough through three quarters. Yeah, yeah. Two things to say about this game. One, with my pick on the plus seven and a half, that was said before the Michael Pratt news came out. I apologize to anybody who tailed. I would not have given away that information had I known about the Pratt injury. And second, just like the Colorado-Nebraska game, this is a final score that does not reflect how this game was played. Ole Miss ends up winning this game by 17 points, 37 to 20, with a pick six in the, in the final minute. Tulane won this game through three quarters you said it they were up at half i think they were up entering the fourth quarter if not they were tied and i mean they they missed their guy they missed michael pratt this their senior leader again a guy who not only is their leader and a huge threat in the passing game but a huge threat in the running game kai horton was taken off every now and then but michael pratt poses way more of a threat in the ground game than he does i was just really happy to see the two lane defense play as well as they did through three quarters quinshawn judkins and company started to get started getting to him in the fourth there but they were physical. They were physical. I said last week that this team would give Jackson Dart a lot less time to throw the football than Mercer did. And they did. They got him a couple of times for a couple of sacks. They were physical in the trenches. They didn't let Quinshawn Judkins get going at all. He, he did not look good the entire game. And I give all the credit to the two-lane front four there. On the Ole Miss side of things, great job of Hottie Toddy. You come in, you don't look phenomenal. 
but you pull out a win on the road against a very good Tulane football team, setting the tone and setting the precedent as a contender in the West, especially after what we saw from LSU week one and then Bama and A&M here in week two. You stole all my points there, but I'm just going to go through them quick anyways. I mean, you mentioned it, consistent pressure on Jackson Dart. That was huge. Keyshawn Dudkins, only 2.7 yards of carry in this game, was not able to penetrate that two-lane front four, and they just looked like the more physical team until the fourth. I think they just got a little gassed, and I mean, that's when Ole Miss really pulled away. They outscored them 20-3. to But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. You got to feel good about this Ole Miss team taking on a tough opponent on the road in a week where everyone in the West has looked horrible. Yeah, the first two weeks have been very bad for the West, aside from Ole Miss. And yeah, you said it. Tulane was physical, and they got gassed. That's why they lost this football game. But Ole Miss, again, you, you don't, they didn't look great. It wasn't pretty, but they got it done. And that's all that matters. They got the win. It's 2-0. You move on, and you say, good job, boys, to come into a hostile environment and get that win and move on and cement yourselves as a real contender in not only the SEC West, but the SEC. Yeah, and you mentioned it right there gritty win and i think that's what we're going to see a lot out of in this western in this western division the sec this year just a lot of tough fought games it's not always going to be pretty you got a lot of teams out there that are going to make mistakes but whoever can make the adjustments in the third and fourth quarter are going to win those games yeah there's going to be a lot of games this year where some teams some teams pull away in the fourth and we get very surprised a lot of upsets coming in sec this year starting with potentially Ole Miss, maybe not upsetting but blowing lsu out of the water in a couple of weeks here in oxford i would not be surprised to see that happen oh a hundred percent but we got to jump over and talk about another team in the west that just did not perform well this week man i thought this texas a&m squad was going to be good they got destroyed by miami and i mean I thought they were going to destroy Miami after the first drive. I thought, I really thought this Texas A&M team was rolling. You had Bobby Petrino looking like Darth Vader behind that tinted glass calling plays. But uh, yeah, Gav, you were right about this Miami squad, man. I did not give them enough credit before the season. I still want to see more from them because as you said, A&M came out hot and the defense was shaky at times. However, what I wanted to see out of them during our ACC preview and what I expected to see out of them on offense I finally saw it today, and boy, am I happy about that. Cristobal has these boys moving the football. Tyler Van Dyke looks like Tyler Van Dyke again, about fucking time. I mean, last year was not reflective at all of how good of a quarterback he is. And on, on the A&M side of things, I wanted, I wanted them to be so good also, Jasper, you and I both. And I think they still can be. Thankfully, this game has no impact on the SEC standings. It's not, it's not a conference loss. But man, we keep talking about it. That front four needs to be the front four we thought they were going to be. And we said it. If Miami came into this game and were able to run the football in the front four, they were going to win. And they did. And that running game is what opened up Tyler Van Dyke to take shots down the field and really gash this defense. That's what happened. Miami scored over 40 points this game. Offense looks great. AM is going to have to sh- have to shape up that front four moving forward. But back to the Hurricanes, maybe I was right. I love what I saw out of them. And in an ACC that looks wide open, especially after Clemson's performances the first two weeks. I love my Hurricanes. I love my prediction, and I want to see them continue to improve, especially on the defensive and offensive line side of things. When that D-line flips the switch and they play physical in the trenches, I think they're going to be able to get after the quarterback every time. They looked so good. They Connor Wegman had very little time back there. He was constantly getting pushed back, had to rush throws. But you mentioned the offense and Tyler Van Dyke. They looked phenomenal. Xavier Restrepo was like getting loose every play, it felt like. 
yeah, he was phenomenal in this game. And if, if Van Dyke can play that good from here on out, man, just that that opens up so many doors for that defense to just get physical, get after the quarterback. And I'm not going to compare Mario Cristobal to Dan Campbell because nobody's Dan Campbell, but he brings that same kind of physicality, mentality, like let's fucking be some dogs, let's get after the quarterback, let's play some smash mouth football. I mean, he was an offensive lineman himself. I love the culture what's happening in Miami. I love the steam they got rolling. They're in the top 25 this week for the first time since Chris Ball's been the coach. They've got everything going for him. Let's keep it rolling. It's all about the U, baby. It's all about the U. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go, Gav. Game of the week, Texas at Bama. And I'm going to say it, Texas is back. <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything until I'm like, you got the floor for Texas because, man, you you nailed this game. Quinn Ewers just obliterated this Bama secondary all game long. Uh, A.D. Mitchell looks like an NFL receiver right now. And the part for me that I'll, I'll harp on and give Bama so much shit for coming up here pretty soon, Texas won in the trenches, man. What the fuck was that? So I'll let you talk about Texas and how good they are because you were 1,000% right, and then I will just light into Bama here shortly. All right, here we go. Quick points. Quinn yours played like the number one crew in the nation, the guy we were all promised, 24-38. 349 yards, three touchdowns to the air. The O-line played phenomenal, and part of the reason Ewers played so well is because he had all the time in the world to throw. He didn't get sacked a single time, and you mentioned it, the trenches, man. Texas's D-line brought the pressure. Five total sacks on Bama. They were in Milrose's face all game. They took away the running game entirely. Bama could not get down the field at all on the ground. Milrose was forced to throw. And this Bama team looked so one-dimensional, man. They played completely out of sync. 10 penalties for 90 yards. Man, are they in trouble in the SEC West. Now, Texas still has to win in the Big 12. They have to get through this tough conference. They have to get to this conference championship. I believe they can. They got to stay focused, win the Red River rivalry. That's going to be their biggest game of the season going forward. But Texas is back, and I'll I'll talk about it in a second after we get to a little more discussion on Bama. But I think they have a path to number one in the country heading into the CFP. I totally agree with you there. I mean, especially if they just run through this uh, this Big 12 play. They looked like the best team in the country yesterday. I mean, goddamn, man. It, not yesterday, Saturday. Pardon me. Uh, but holy shit. Yeah, Quinn Ewers, just phenomenal, like you said. Looking like the guy we were promising day one. As I mentioned, A.D. Mitchell looking like an absolute animal. Xavier Worthy. I mean, who's going to stop those guys? Enough about Texas. Time to light up Bama. I was wrong. Holy shit, was I wrong about Bama. Uh, They got destroyed in the trenches, the place where I expected them to dominate. And you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say Jalen Milrow needs to be benched right the fuck now. I mean, he he doesn't even go through his reads. He gets the ball in his hands, and he's out of that pocket. Like, just gone. And I I understand Texas was getting pressure, but it was before the pressure even got there. He just got the ball and left the pocket. Like, if he would just sit there and look off linebacker once or twice, he might be able to throw the football. He might be able to do it. But, my God, he couldn't throw. Like you said, one-dimensional offense. Secondary got torched. I, I don't even want to, you know, the, the fact, if, if there was cameras in that Bama locker room after the game, Nick Saban, Nick Saban might not have a job because I can only imagine what the fuck he said to those football players. Bama has two quarterbacks sitting behind Jalen Milrow that 
or better. Why is Ty Simpson on the bench right now? He is an incredible passer of the football. I know we haven't seen him in action, but like five-star passer coming out of college. Jalen Milrow looked young. He looked scared. And Alabama as a whole looked like they were lost out there. I don't even, I have no words for this team right now because everything I expected out of them was just right back in my face. I was so wrong. Did Texas look great? Yes. But man, Bama you got to figure it out. Figure it out fast because you got a game on the road against AM coming up here pretty soon. They'll play LSU. They'll play Auburn, a team that, again, I like very much. They didn't look good this weekend either, but they're 2-0. So, man, I, I have no words to say about Bama right now. And I'm just going to explore this just for the fun of it right here, right now. So, Bama's only path to the college football playoff right now is beating Georgia in that SEC championship game. They got to win out. They got to go 12-1. and They got to go 12-1. and They got to get to that SEC championship game. If they make the right decision at quarterback, I think that could change this offense. But if they win that SEC championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs, and we still don't really know what the Georgia Bulldogs are just yet, or how good Carson – I'd rather say how good Carson Beck is. We know who this Georgia Bulldog team is. They are the most physical, most dominating team in the trenches in the country. But, man, I mean, if Georgia gets tested here coming up and Carson Beck stumbles a little bit, I'm going to be inclined to maybe even take Bama in that game if they get a good quarterback going and Ty Simpson or Buckner, whoever it is. They beat Georgia in that SEC championship game. Texas will be the best team in the country heading into the CFP. Yeah, well, Bama's got to get there first, man. They mentioned <laughs> Simpson or Buckner. We need to see one of those two guys fast because I have zero faith in Jalen Milrow and his ability to lead this team because he's not going to do it with his legs. That's not what, what the team is built on. I'm looking at their schedule right now. Forget the AM game. They have Hottie Toddy coming to Tuscaloosa in two weeks. And I have a hard time believing Jackson Dart can't not replicate what Quinn Ewers just did, but come damn near close to it especially with a guy named Quinshawn Judkins in the backfield, who after seeing what Bama did on the defensive line and, well, the lack thereof what they did, Ole Miss could very well just run all of this team in two weeks. You know Lane Kiffin is dying for that win against Nick Saban. He needs yeah. that. Before we move on to our picks, one last thing I want to say about Texas. No true running back emerged in the backfield in this game. If one of those guys, whether it be Brooks or Baxter, emerges as a top running back, this is – a complete football team, and they are going to be a problem for everyone they face, even an Oklahoma defense that has looked leaps and bounds better than it did last year. I seriously don't think there is a way to overreact to Texas and how they played in this football game. Their, their, their ceiling is is national champion after watching this game. Seriously, it's it's insane. Quinn Ewers looks like Quinn Ewers, and the receiving core is one of the best in the country right up there with Ohio State's. Defense looked insane. Defensive front looked insane. Bama didn't look great, like I said, but... You, you cannot overreact in either way to how both these teams played. Jumping over to our picks from the weekend. And yeah, we finally we finally took a step back a little bit. Hottest gambling podcast in the country. Couldn't keep it up. <laughs> Jumping over for my picks. I should have, first and foremost, I should have put my money where my mouth was with Texas. That would have been a huge one. But instead, I had to watch ASU and Vandy both lose games. They could have easily covered and were covering for a majority of the game. Kansas was never a doubt. The offense looks unreal. They're going to start the season 5-0. and And we'll be definitely be talking about it more later. But that Illini team is bad. They were going to cover by three no matter what, especially with Jalen Daniels back there. Mm -hmm. Looking at mine, so quick for the listeners at home, we were 9-3 and three coming into this week. We each went 1-2, and two, which puts us at 11-7 and seven on the season, so we're still hitting at a high clip. We're net positive on the year through three weeks. I went 1-2, and two, should have been 2-1, and one, but should have, would have, could have, it happens in gambling. Smashed my play of the week with Utah Baylor under 47. We talked about it earlier, but I absolutely no business being at 47 after what I saw out of Utah in week one with Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson. Didn't even sniff this throughout the entire game, drilled that, play of the week, on to the next.
Well, that wraps up college football for us. We got kind of a down week after all this week, past week's action, but we'll still have a full breakdown for you guys coming up here on Thursday. Jumping over to the NFL, and Gav, we got the first full week of football, and it just felt good to be back, man. I mean, I remember sitting on there on Thursday night with just the adrenaline pumping. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. There's butterflies in the stomach. Like, I don't have any kids yet, but, you know, I don't, I don't know what's more exciting, birth of my first child or the opening opening NFL season, man. It's, it's, it's one or the other because – that Chiefs Lions game got my, like you said, got my heart going, butterflies in the stomach. I was, I, I was feeling it. This was a great matchup to open the year. A huge win for the Lions. We got Dan, the Dan Campbell craziness right out of the gate with the fake punt and the conversion. Jared Goff played super well. He had some great throws, especially that one where he had Snead coming off the edge unblocked and he just threaded the needle to Josh Reynolds. Man, I mean, I really like this Lions team. I mean, they ran the ball well with Montgomery. They haven't even tapped into Jameer Gibbs potential yet, which is even scarier. A Lions team that I was low on coming into the season and similar to the Buffs. Start to think I might have been a little bit wrong, but I'm not ready to give up on my original analysis just quite yet. However, great win for the Lions, not taking that away from them. Uh, Dan Campbell came out and just dropped his nuts on the table with the fake punt on zone 10. Uh, going for it at the end of the game. Obviously, they didn't get it. Still up the effort there. And not giving up. You know, they were they were trailing the whole game. They came out and got the first touchdown, but the Chiefs came back and responded, took the lead right back. And they didn't lead again until the end of the third quarter, pulling out a 20-20 win, obviously. Statement win. Statement win. You go on the road to Arrowhead, a place that's never easy to win in, and they get the win. They come away with it. Now they welcome my Seattle Seahawks to town this upcoming week, a team that looked phenomenal this weekend because we got smoked by the Los Angeles Scrams. But on the Chiefs side of things, I mean, they are missing they are missing their guys. They're missing Kelsey. They're missing Chris Jones. My God, they were, do their receivers have pans for hands? I mean, what the fuck was that? Sky Moore dropping passes. Surprise Kadarius Tony stills job. I mean, this is this was a tough game to watch. Mahomes had no help out there. They'll improve moving forward, but they got to go on the road to Jacksonville this week. It's not going to get much easier for them. I agree with you to still that there is good reason to still be bullish on the Lions. I thought defensively they played really well at the line of scrimmage and defended the run well, but this secondary got really, really lucky, man. It was drop pass after drop pass for that Kansas City receiving core. Although, I mean, I am pretty, I'm, I'm excited to see what Brian Branch does. I didn't realize they drafted him. I think that's a really good pickup for their secondary. CD Deuce was huge for this defense as well. I can't tell you, especially in the run game, I can't tell you how many times I saw him in on tackles there. But you were right. The Chiefs are a completely different team with Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones out. No true standout receiver for them, which really hurt. And, I mean, Patty Mahomes basically got zero help back there, man. Now, they did get Chris Jones back, and we'll see what happens with Kelsey. But I'm not too worried about this Chiefs team. I mean, they did give my Raiders a leg up in the AFC West losing this week. Yeah, they'll be fine. You mentioned they get Chris Jones back finally. They finally agree to a deal. A deal that's totally incentive-based, by the way. So Chris Jones is going to come out with a chip on his shoulder ready to hurt some people. Even if they go out to, into Jacksonville and lose this game, which I wouldn't be surprised if they did, and they start 0-2... They're still fine considering the rest of their division is the Raiders and the Broncos, who they will finish better than no matter what they start out. They can start 0-4 and they'll still finish better than those teams. And the Chargers looking like the Chargers again with a defense that doesn't exist and Brandon Staley. That guy should be behind the counter working at Canes, man. He is a horrible football coach. I have no idea what he's still doing on the sidelines. Speaking of teams that came out a little flat this week, jumping into Sunday's games here, the Bengals take, took a visit to the Browns, and this was an ugly game for the Bengals, man. I mean, it was wet, it was rainy, and the Browns just came out as the better team. 
Yeah, a game that I think we read too, we mentioned it briefly last week is like, well, this this smells like a game where Cleveland could easily win it, and they did. I think you and I are in agreement here. I'm not scared of the Bengals and like what this means for them. It's a one-off. Joe Burrow was dealing with a hamstring injury for a lot of the offseason, or a lot of preseason, pardon me. The offense obviously looked horrible. They only scored three points. They'll pick it up. They'll pick it up. I think they looked bad in week one last year too, although I can't really remember. Um, and for the Browns, I mean, you know, week one at home, defense looked great as we expected them to. This is the Browns. This is going to be the, you know, the culture of the Browns team this year. They're going to win games with their defense. Deshaun didn't look phenomenal, but he did what he had to do to win this game. Cleveland's going to cause some problems in the North. I don't think they end up winning it, but based on what I saw, wouldn't be surprised if they sneaked their way into the postseason. The Browns were just the more dominant team on the ground in this game. They knew what was coming their way. They knew how to win this game at home. And, I mean, the Bengals' offense, they're predicated on the big play. And if it's wet out, you're not going to be able to get those big plays as often. They were they were close a couple times. But, as you said, I mean, just great defense won out for the Browns. And that's what it took. Miles Garrett put this game on ice with that sack. And, man, it was really sad to see, I mean, the Bengals pull all their starters there in the fourth quarter. But it had to happen. This game was out of reach. Yeah, and if anybody, if anyone's telling you, if, for the listener at home, if anybody is telling you to hit the panic button on the Bengals, tell them to go fuck themselves. They'll be fine. They get the Baltimore Ravens at home this week. A beautiful chance for a bounce back. They will win that football game, and I expect I expect them to win it uh, to win it hand handily. I'm right there with you. That's gonna be a lot of, a really fun AFC North matchup in week two. Speaking of an AFC North team that let us down in week one, that is the Steelers welcoming the Niners home. And first and foremost, Gap, we owe Brock Purdy an apology. He was incredibly efficient, hadn't skipped a beat. But uh, yeah, I mean, this game really came down to me for how bad the Steelers looked. Kenny Pickett is back in action. And G. Harris did not get a be able to get was not able to get it going on the ground. TJ Watt was actually the only reason I feel like this team was in this game at all at half. You're right. Um, and yeah, this, the Steelers look bad, yes, but I would say this game is far more about how good the Niners looked. And I owe Brock Purdy a huge apology. Maybe part of my skepticism was being a Seahawks fan, but I really don't think it was. I was really, really concerned about the elbow holding up. The UCL injury is nothing nothing to be to, to take lightly. It's, it's very concerning. But he looked phenomenal. He looked very efficient, as you mentioned, finding the guys, the right guys all over the place. Brandon Ayuk seems to be his favorite target, uh, you know, which is great for a guy that, you know, it's it, it, it's great to see spreading the ball all over the place. George Kittle getting some love, Debo getting some love, Christian McCaffrey looking like Christian McCaffrey, and this Niners defense just playing with the Niners defense, man. They have the best roster in the NFL on paper. It's all up to Brock Purdy and how far can take this team. And if he continues to play this caliber, they are the favorite in the NFC. There's no doubt about it. So for me, this game was about the 49ers and how good they looked. I expect the Steelers to take some steps forward coming up here, um, especially getting the Browns at home in prime time this upcoming week. Yeah, and I mean, not just on paper, on the field too. This Niners team is going to be phenomenal. And with an NFC that is looking a little lighter this year. I think they're going to be in prime position to make a run here going forward. Absolutely. You couldn't, couldn't agree more. NFC is wide open. Uh, you know, people that say the Eagles are the clear and away favorite. No, they're not. They, they looked abysmal this weekend against, uh, against the Patriots. I think they averaged like less than four yards of play. It was ridiculous, man. The offense looks stagnant against a very good Pat's D Niners are the favorite uh, until Brock Purdy tells me otherwise. 
Exactly. I mean, we'll get to the Cowboys in a second, but I think they're going to make a good run as well. Speaking of two teams where we had a lot of questions coming into this game, and now we're going to, we had a couple answered Packers at bears and man, did the pack look good, Gab? Yeah. Yep. Defense came out and played phenomenal. Like we said, they were going to, this is the best defense in the division and it's not close. Uh, The offensive line is also phenomenal and they were able to bust the bears up all over the place on the ground through the air because Jordan Love had all the way to throw and Aaron Jones got eight yards of fucking carry. Uh, and the Bears, they still have they still have offensive line problems, and it's bad. It's really bad. Justin Fields is running for his life back there. Uh, DJ Moore was not able to stretch the field like I thought he would, be, he would be able to. But the story of this game was the Packers and how good they looked. I picked them as the winner in this division, and I'm loving that pick more and more now. Yeah, and you mentioned the physicality. That was my big thing in this game, too. They ran the ball so effectively, and I don't think it's a fluke at all based off just how improved that Bears run defense was. And you're so right about the Bears O-line, man. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I want to chalk up, like, I want to chalk up a good chunk of, like, Justin Fields' poor play to that O-line just because of how bad they were. He had no time to throw. I thought he made some really solid throws when he did have time, so that's some reason for Bears fans to have hope going forward. Of course, DJ Moore's not going to be able to stretch the field when you have 0.2 seconds to throw. But after this weekend, I think it's the Pack and Lions division. I mean, the Vikings had a brutal loss, and their offense looked horrible against the Bucks. We'll see if Kirk and them can bounce back, but this division looks more and more like it's going to be the Packers and Lions here down the stretch going forward. Yep, and that's I, – I, I don't see it any other way. I, the, the Vikings, as you mentioned, losing at home to the Buccaneers in week one, that tells me all I need to know. Uh, and that's coming off of how their season ended last year, losing at home in the playoffs to the New York football giants, a team that looked, um, what's the word I'm looking for, horrible on <laughs> Sunday night against the Cowboys. Absolutely. Jumping over to another team where we had some mixed expectations, and I owe an apology to. Dolphins at Chargers and Tua. I owe you an apology, man. I was not aware of your game. 466 yards to the air, three scores. And fuck a ground game, man. You don't need that shit at all when you got Tyreek going for 200 yards. Holy shit. This team looked good on the offensive side of the football. Yeah. Um, I, I I mentioned it coming into the season. I believe the Dolphins are the most explosive team in the AFC East on each side of the football. The defense got gashed, but I'm going to be bullish on that for the time being and chalk it up to the Chargers offense looking phenomenal, which it did. They got Kellen Moore in there as the offensive coordinator. We know how good he is. And obviously Justin Herbert, who is going to be an MVP candidate this year if he keeps it up. Um, but yeah, two looks phenomenal. 466 yards through the air. He needs to stay healthy. I said it, I said it in the AFC preview. If Tua stays healthy, the Dolphins win this division. And I think I was proved more than right this weekend. But man, I mean, the, the, the Dolphins receivers are uncoverable. You cannot cover Tyreek and Jalen Waddle at the same time. I mean, every single play, it's like Tyreek has 10 yards of separation. How can you cover that guy? Ridiculous. Then look over at Jalen Waddle, who would be wide receiver one on pretty much any team in the National Football League, aside from Miami. Uh, Yeah, Dolphins look phenomenal, very explosive, except for the defense and the Chargers, man. Holy shit. What is Brandon Staley doing on the sidelines wearing a headset? This defense continues to lose them games. Brandon Staley continues to mismanage his football team. I feel bad for Justin Herbert because he's trapped, man. He, he's getting a bad rap as a loser, uh, and he's not. He's finding windows on the football field that no other QB in the NFL can find, including Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. 
His arm talent is incredible, and he's getting wasted on a Chargers team that is getting so poorly mismanaged. This Chargers team is so poorly managed, man. I mean, Brandon Staley, you mentioned at the beginning, he should be working at Canes. This is ridiculous. (laughs) He is such a bad head coach. And as a Raiders fan, I'm here for it as long as he stays, but I think that time is coming short. We're probably going to see him out of here midseason if the Chargers are below 500, if not 500. Yeah, if this defense doesn't turn it around, it should be going ASAP. But yeah, this this game was about two things. How bad the Chargers looked on defense, a a.k.a. how bad Brandon Staley is as a coach, and two, how explosive the Dolphins are. So if the Dolphins stay healthy, uh, look out, AFC, because this is a team you do not want to play in the playoffs if they get there with with the explosiveness they have on both sides of the football. Absolutely. I mean, how is this Chargers defense so bad, man? I mean, Brandon Staley, man, that's all it is. J.C. Jackson had that pick, but he was just getting beat every time. And, I mean, maybe that's just a testament to how good these Dolphins receivers were, as you said. They're uncoverable, and that makes things even more challenging on defense because once you do cover those guys, guess who's open in the middle? Mike Gusecki. So, there you go. I mean – Well, Gusecki's a, a Patriot now, but still, I, I know what you're saying. You find you find the big guy in the middle. Um, it's – yeah, it's it, it's it's bad. It's, it's bad news for all defenses. I mean, it was a big dude with 80 on his jersey. I mean, I, I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. It all looks the same. You know, it looked bad, though, actually, for the Dolphins. Xavier Howard was getting torched all game long. I think he had four pass interference penalties, which is not going to be – not going to cut it for the Dolphins moving forward. It was brutal, man. I mean, there was not a lot – besides maybe Patrick Sertan for Denver Broncos, there was not a lot – a whole lot of good cornerback play this weekend. No, no. It's week one. They'll improve, but, yeah. you know. You, you don't want to see that from, from anybody. Yeah. I mean, and the Dolphins right now, I got it. I think, are they the favorite to win the AFC East based off what we saw this week? I'd have them. And we'll get to the Bill Jets game in a sec. But I, I I can't remember if I said it during our preview or not, but Josh Allen sucks. <laughs> He's bad. He sucks. We'll get to that in a second, though, because we got to talk about the Cowboys destroying the Giants. Another team that played poorly in New York. The Giants, the Cowboys have the best defense in the league. It's leaps and bounds above everyone else. They got after the quarterback. They stuffed the run. And this secondary is a goddamn problem, Gavin. Yep. And I know for a fact I said this during our NFC preview. This team goes as far as Dak Prescott takes them. So it's, it, it, it is their year. This is the year for them, boys. Defense is phenomenal, like you said. Uh, they've got the ground game with Tony Pollard. They've got the weapons on offense, CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup. Uh, the O-line's still there. Tyron Smith, Zach Martin's still there leading the charge. It's up to Dak. And he didn't have to do anything this week because the defense came out and scored 17 points in the first five minutes of the game. But he's he, he's going to win them football games. He's going to lose them football games. If he is the Dak Prescott that I want Dak Prescott to be, they will win this division. They will beat the Eagles in the playoffs, and they will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Follow-up question there. What is the Dak Prescott you want Dak Prescott to be? A guy that doesn't turn the ball over. He led the league in picks last year. As long as he holds on to the football and moves him down the field, this defense is good enough to compete with anybody, including the 49ers. So hold on to the football. Don't make any stupid plays. Make the big plays every once in a while. Find CeeDee Lamb. Find big number 88. That's your guy this year. Uh, Brandon Cooks stretching the field is a huge plus for this offense. Just hold on to the football. Don't make mistakes. And this Cowboys team will be phenomenal. I'm right there with you. 
Dak, I mean, Dak can even just be a game manager for this team. I mean, CD and Tony Pollard and even Brandon Cooks are all explosive enough players where if you just dump it off, man, they can make someone miss and get downfield and score your points. Yep, yep. Dak is the captain of this, of this offense. He is not the best player on this offense. That goes to CD Lamb um, and even Tony Pollard. All, all Dak has to do, as you said, is be a game manager and not make any stupid mistakes. He at this point in his career, he's he's an, he's a veteran. Like you expect that of him. You you need to be good, hold on to the football. That's what the season comes down to, man. And I, I I believe in him. I really do. But again, I'm worried because it is the Cowboys, it is Dak Prescott. But man, I I believe I believe in him this year. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Jones needs that one more win before he heads on to his next life. Yeah, and you know I I, I like how Jerry's more hands off now. Obviously, no longer the GM. That's been the case for almost a decade now, but. Um, yeah, I like how I'm not even mentioned the Giants because this game wasn't even about them. They looked horrible, obviously, and I think they will continue to look horrible. They over they overperformed last year and they'll win some games this year, but they, they're not making the playoffs. It's not gonna happen. Yeah, Dable's not gonna get fired, but this is still like this is a team that overperformed last year. They'll they'll get there eventually. Is Daniel Jones worth $160 million? I mean, he threw $160 million worth of picks on Sunday night, so we'll see. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right, we've been putting it off long enough. Let's talk about this horrible game we had to watch last night. And what a wild game, Bills at Jets. So obviously you have Rodgers going down on the first drive. And from everything I've seen, that looks like his Achilles just popped, man. He might be done for not just the season, but for his career. Yeah, Robert Sala said, and I quote, it's not good. Talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers and his Achilles this morning. I expect him to miss the rest of the season. As you mentioned, this is potentially the last time we see Aaron Rodgers step on a football field. I know he was thinking about retiring before he went over to the Jets. Uh, Randall Cobb even said it on Hard Knocks. See, he thought when they walked the field in Green Bay last season, that was the last time they were doing it. So, you know, you, you, you don't like to see it. Um, you don't see anybody get hurt, especially, you know, in, in, you know the oldest guy in the league who – First ballot Hall of Famer, obviously, four-time MVP. It's in Zach Wilson's hands now. It's his season. It's his team. Well, you know what? I take that back. It's not in Zach Wilson's hands. It's in this defense hands. And they looked great last night. Um, but, man, Josh Allen, I know I said this during the preview also. As long as he's the quarterback, this Bills team is not getting the Super Bowl ever. And it's because he makes too many stupid mistakes. And we saw it last night, turning the ball over four times, He's been doing this since he came into the league. You know, he he is the king of the arm punt. My God. I mean, he, th- he threw three of them last night. Horrible reads, horrible decision-making. Is he incredibly athletic and makes some plays with his feet and his arm that make you go, wow, this guy's good? Yes. Is he a bad quarterback? No. But he makes far too many dumb mistakes. He, he He's Dak Prescott of the AFC. Like, yeah. As long as he's the quarterback, this team will not go as far as they can possibly go because he turns the ball over too much. Yeah, it was just a horrible performance for him on the offset offensive side. I mean, the three interceptions and then the fumble, which was just bad, man. Just pick that ball up and go down. Like, why do you have to try and keep running that thing? Uh, the fight that broke out after that was pretty funny, too. I did enjoy that a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, this game was just ugly, man. On both sides of the ball, Zach Wilson was nothing special. And the last thing I want to say about this Aaron Rodgers injury is, like, it's just annoying, man. I mean, we had him on hard knocks. We had all this hype going into this year. Aaron Rodgers is going to change the Jets, and now he's just done for the year. I mean, talk about a plot hole in the 2023 NFL season. 
But you get to this game late. The Bills are trying to kind of trying to claw their way back into this thing. They doink it in. I mean, I thought that ball was going wide for sure to get to overtime. And then first drive, fail to score. The rookie Gibson returns the punt to walk it off. And this game just felt like, I mean, this is probably New York's best win of the season, if we're being honest. I mean, they're not going to do too much. That defense, as you said, is going to keep them in games. But this was just bad football all around. Yeah, defense is phenomenal and it will win them games. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if anything, this just solidifies the Dolphins as a team to beat in the AFC East. We mentioned it; the Bills' margin of error is super slim, and we saw it on on display last night. Horrible to see from the Jets; their QB one going down. Obviously, I don't know. Bad football all around. The, the, this game for me, for me, it comes down to number seventeen, Warren Blue, and how bad he looked. He was the sole reason they lost this game. If you give up 16 points in a game to the Jets, you expect to win 10 times out of 10. No, 100%. I mean, what was the score? 10 to 3 for the long or 13 to 3? Like, you had a 10 point lead, man. You should not have blown that. I mean, it took Garrett Wilson making a godlike catch just to keep the Jets in this game. And yeah, what the the hell is going on with the Bills? (laughs) I, I really hope Josh Allen, like, figures it out because man, I mean, this team, they looked really, maybe it was just the, how bad the jets offensive line really is, but this team looked like they could get after the quarterback, man. And what I said in that previous, if they can get after the quarterback, that defense is going to be just fine. So you're right. Josh Allen is the sole reason they lost this game. He needs to pick it up. Can he pick it up? Who the hell knows, man? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Jumping over to picks for the weekend. And I just have no feel for the NFL, Gavin. I've been watching too much college football, man. Uh, the Jags got off to a slow start for me. Did not cover that minus five. Commander. They, they covered it. They got, they, they won my 10. Oh, shit. Well, then never mind. I'm two and one on the weekend. Holy shit. <laughs> you had you had the Jags. You had the uh, the Commanders. And you had Packers money line. Yeah. Yeah. So two and one. Yeah. The Jags were not covering that entire game, uh, but they pulled it again. They probably shouldn't have covered, um, but a two and one start for you, which is great. Uh, a two and one start for me as well, with my sole loss being the Bills minus two and a half. Uh, I went against my Seahawks with Rams plus five and a half, and that absolutely drilled. Um, and I also had the oh no, not enough. Sorry, I had Packers money line. You had Raiders Broncos over forty four. You did go one and two with the Jags being win. Uh, I went two and one Packers money line and Rams plus five and a half. So. Uh, three and three to start the season. We'll improve. We'll improve. Do you know the Commanders minus seven was the biggest public play in Vegas this this week? I mean, hey, I thought their offense was going to come out firing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the Cardinals. When I, after I placed it, I was like, oh shit, the Cardinals are going to make this game close. Like just the Josh Dobbs factor, man. I mean, he was playing out of his mind. Where was that in the AFC in that AFC matchup versus the Jags last year? Well, I like what I saw out of that defense and Jonathan Gannon getting them right. So, I, I mean, I think both teams are god awful. So, they, neither team is going to win a lot of games this year. Um, Commanders yeah. were better than the Giants. That's my take after this weekend. Wouldn't be surprised. Three and three start for us. It's fine. We'll get better. We'll read the board better. Um, I already got some picks locked in for this weekend, but I'll have those coming up in our in our pod later this week. Yep, you mentioned that pod later this week. Get ready for it, man. It's going to be a good one. We will see you guys on Thursday.